Hi, welcome to Cinema Scene on Gardner Webb University Radio, WGWG.org. I've got a special guest today, very excited uh, to have uh, Mr. Tom Holkenberg uh, as our guest, a film composer for a film that you guys are going to be uh, involved in, at least you're going to be watching in theaters this weekend. If you get a chance, you got to Mad Max, Fury Road, Mad Max on the big screen again. Uh, Wow, it's been quite a while since we've seen this guy on the big screen. Uh, and uh, we got uh, we got some uh, familiar uh, names attached to it. That's right. The director, Mr. Miller's back as well, uh, pulling this thing together. Uh, Tom, I uh, appreciate you taking your time to talk to us today. Thank you so much. Lovely. And, uh, and Tom, you go by the moniker Junkie XL as well, so I may uh, bounce back and forth uh, so people know <laughs> who you are. Uh, do you want to tell people how the name uh, Junkie XL connects to uh, to Tom? Um, my friends always called me Junkie when I was young. Um, I spent so much time making music um, with my instruments, so they'd say, come on, Junkie, let's go out, let's play. So when I started my electronic music career in the late 80s and 90s, um, um, from the early 90s on, I started to call myself Junkie XL as, uh, as my producer name. The XL stands for Expanding Limits. Um, and... Um, so there we go. That was like in the 90s, and uh, I've been working under that name ever since. So it's, it's almost like 30 years ago. Wow. Well, and, uh, and Tom, you have been involved in a lot of different musical styles uh, throughout your career, uh, from rock to, uh, to video games. You've done uh, commercials. Uh, you've been working on films. Is there a particular type that you're drawn to more than the other, or uh, does it just depend on your mood that particular day? No, I'm definitely... I'm definitely more drawn to um, to films and video games. And if I think about it, if I knew this, if I knew what I know right now, like 20 years ago, I probably would have pursued being uh, a film composer straight away. But I'm happy I didn't because now I have all that knowledge of all these things that I worked on in the past, and I take that you know into my career at this point. Well, you uh, have a strong musical background. You you grew up with a love of music, and um, early in your teen years, you actually got to uh, work in a music store. Talk a little bit about that journey of discovering your love for music and discovering where music really clicked for you. Well, that started really, really early on. Um, there's so many examples um, that I can tell you, but let me tell you one of the most important ones. Um, I was six years old. And I had this nephew that was 18 years old, and he was all cool, and he was dressed cool, and he looked like a rock star. But he wasn't a rock star, but he looked like one. And he came uh, to my birthday, and he gave me an album. And the album was Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. I was six years old. And we played this record together. I remember very well. Yeah, and I I was six years old, and I, 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 I listened to that album, and I was so incredibly inspired by it and i remember that i was i was um in school um the week after that and as a project on school we could break we could bring music to school and we could play it and talk about it and i remember all the other kids played like i don't know like a a a tune from a disney movie or you know some happy sing-along song and i and i brought this album and, and kids started to cry they um they didn't know what to think of it and that was like that was, that was like one of the first moments that I, 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 I realized the strong impact that music can have uh, on, on people's moods, but also on their fantasy, because I saw all these images, you know, when I, when I listened to that record. And um, 
um, yeah, and then you mentioned the music store. The music store is another important one where I got in touch with all these electronic elements that were all coming out in that time period. It was a very revolutionary uh, time period for for uh, for music and for instruments. And the knowledge that I you know that I got at that specific point when everything started at that point in '84, the first music computers came out, the yeah. first samplers came out. It was a fantastic time period, and. Uh, I soaked it all in, and I, 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 you know, I took it with me, and, and still my love for technology, and at the same time, the respect and love for original instruments that you just need to play, because if you don't, there's no room for you in the bat or in an orchestra. So the combination of that has always been my thing. And, and you, you do play multiple instruments as well, correct? Yes, I started uh, playing piano when I was really young, and then I got a drum kit when I was seven, and then I got an electric guitar when I was 11, and then... I started playing in bands since I was 11, and that was like 1979. I mean, it, it, when I say that, it's like, man, you're old. <laughs> but, you know, it was, really cool. it was a really cool time period. You know, I'm now 47, and I can, say, I can actually say to people, hey, I started playing in bands in 1979. Yeah. It's a cool year to start playing in bands. <laughs> Well, in uh, in two thousand two, you you made a big mark too, uh, which uh, with a with an artist that we may be familiar with by the name of Elvis Presley. Uh, talk about that that remix uh, that you were involved in that was number one in, in like twenty four twenty five countries. Uh, the rework of a little less conversation. Yeah, well, that was an interesting thing too. Um, I was working with um, the ad agency in Amsterdam uh, for Nike commercials, and I'd done some Olympic Games commercials for them. Um, and there were just a few few uh, houses down on the same canal in Amsterdam where I have my studio. One day the door rings and I open up and uh, and it's Glenn, uh, one of the creative executives there that I got to know really well. And he's like, Tom, I got something for you. What do you think about this? And he played me the spot uh, that later became the, the commercial for the World Championship uh, Soccer was uh, t- directed by Terry Gilliam. And it had all the famous... Um, uh, a sportsman in it and he said what do you think and I think it, I think it's fantastic and uh, he said well why don't you brew on a few ideas and then um, let, let's come back in, in, in five hours and see what you did and I was producing a record uh, for a very famous DJ at the time uh, DJ Sasha from, from England and I said can, I, can, can you give me four or five hours I got to do this thing and he's like sure and so I did a, a quick remix of a little less conversation. Right. The DJ came back and he listened to it. He's like, "Oh my God, this is a number one hit." And I <laughs> said, "No, no. If it if it's great with the commercial, but uh, I don't think it's not going to go anywhere." Well, you know, that's what I said then. But obviously, yeah. the commercial came out. Um, there was so much magic around that track. Not necessarily the music, but that a track was remixed by Elvis for the first time. That it went number one in multiple countries. That and that tipped off the balance of the number one hits for the Beatles and the number one hits of Elvis because they were tied. Wow. Wow. Well, you, you, know, you mentioned uh, getting five hours to kind of pull this thing together. Your composing career, you've had, you've had that same kind of concept where you've, had, you've been kind of thrown into the mix in some films. and other films, you've been given a little more time. Um, some of the films, to your credit, include 300 Rise of the Empire, uh, Divergent, uh, Para, Paranoia, and also we mentioned Mad Max. And you've got one that we're not going to talk about until next year, uh, but you are involved with the, uh, the new Batman, Superman film that's due out uh, next year. And we'll talk to you about that later on uh, when the movie comes out. 
But talk about the different styles of process that you go through when you have a little more time and then when you don't have as much time to pull together uh, composing for a film. Well, it totally, it totally depends. Like uh, uh, Rise of an Empire, I had five or six weeks to pull, to pull it off. Um, and Mad Max, I had 18 months. So uh, obviously two completely different uh, dynamics. But I love both of them. Uh, so Mad Max, 18 months of careful deliberating what the score should be, try this, try that, what if we did sus, what if we did so, it's, it's fantastic. And you have time, you can think about it, you can correct mistakes that you're about to make. There's all the time in the world to do it. Now with 300, I got thrown in. Yeah, with 300, I only had uh, uh, five weeks to do it. So what happens at that specific point is that, you know, you get into this adrenaline rush with, uh, with uh, the people that work at that point on the film. And it's like, 80, 20 hours a day, and, and everything needs to be right on the spot, which is, which is extremely thrilling. Uh, that brings me back to the four hours that I had to, to do the first demo for the Nike commercial. Right. It feels like that, and, it, and, it's, and it's fantastic. Um, yeah, and the other scenario is to spend 18 months with a lovely director trying all sorts of things. Now, when you were involved with Mad Max, talk about... Um were you on the set, or were, were you... Talk about that process, because you had 18 months, a year and a half, to work on this. What was that like for you, and how did you compose for that particular film? Um, well, I wasn't on the set, um, but I got, I got brought in when most of the film was shot. The, the beginning wasn't shot, and the ending wasn't shot, but the middle part was. And, it, and, it, and they had an edit in long form. Um, so I get this phone call from the vice president of music, um, when I was wrapping up 300, and he said, what are you doing tonight? And I said, actually, um, not that much. I think I'm going to have uh, dinner with the wife. And he says, no, you're not. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> he said, well, I got a plane ticket for you to go to Sydney. To Sydney, I said, you know, what am I supposed to do with Sydney? He says, well, I'm sitting here with George Miller. And then, boom, it just hit me. It was like, <laughs> what? Is he talking about Fury Road? Wow. And so I got to Sydney. I saw the film. Next day, I met George, and I said, you know, he asked me, he's like, so what, what, what do you think we should be doing? And basically, in a two-hour-long monologue, I explained to him what I think the movie needs is a massive rock opera. Yeah. Um, and then when I was done talking, he shook my hand and he said, I want you to be the composer for my film. Wow. And I said, great. And I, wow. I flew back home. I flew back home, went home. I opened a bottle of wine and I sat down with my wife and I said, please tell me what just happened. You wow. know, I had, you know, it was such a roller coaster. <laughs> and uh, the first scene that I saw in, that mo in the movie is when the car start driving out with the crazy drummers on the back of the truck and the guitar player in front. That was the first scene I saw. Yes. And I said to George, let me just start on that first. And he said, that's a great idea. So that's the first thing I did to create this really crazy, over-the-top tribal rhythms with guitars for these war boys that are now chasing... Uh, Max for a whole movie. Wow, wow. So, so that whole rock opera theme and that idea that you had to begin with, do you feel that you were that that, that carried through with the final product? Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Wow, no wow. mistake about it. Yeah, wow. So, uh, is this was this the most fun you had putting together a project? It, it all comes down working with people. You know, it's like George is such a lovely person. Uh, and he became, you know, one of my best friends in, in, in 18 months. So when I wake up this morning and I go to Rotten Tomatoes and I see 100% fresh, 30 reviews. Yes. All the top critics are in. 
yeah. you know, and, and I, I, I became emotional, you know, and, and that's what you want for your best friends. You know, you, you worked on it so hard. He worked on it for so long. And that's what you want to happen. And so you were asking me about all these different films and um, every film is unique for a certain purpose. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm working right now on Black Mass, uh, the movie with um, uh, Johnny Depp and Benedict Cumberbatch about the life of Whitey Bulger. Um, extremely nice director, completely different film, uh, completely different conversations that I have with George Miller. But it's, it's unique on its own. And right. then I'm working on Point Break with Erickson Core, right. wonderful film, wonderful director, and that's a unique process too. So it's, you cannot really compare the, one, the, the ones together. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, uh, you've worked with um, Hans Zimmer for uh, quite a few, few films. Talk about that collaboration process you have with him and that friendship with him. It's a very important one. And Hans has really become a really good friend of mine. And um, he has taught me so much. And I'm still learning from him. Uh, his, his view on what a movie needs and his execution, his sense for detail... Um, it, it's just remarkable. And, you know, he's truly one of the greats ever lived when it comes to film scoring. And uh, I'm just, you know, very happy that I can call him my friend. Well, Tom, we appreciate you taking time to spend with us today. We're on the phone with Tom Holkenberg. Uh You may know him as Junkie XL. He is the composer uh, for the film Mad Max Fury Road, opening in theaters this weekend, uh, directed by Oscar winner uh, George Miller. And, uh, Tom, we appreciate you taking the time to spend with us today, but I want to give you a, a thought for a couple final comments before we wrap up and take a break and come back with more of Cinema Scene. Uh, name a favorite composer or two that has inspired you throughout the years. Bernard Herrmann and Hans Zimmer. All right. And uh, favorite films growing up that inspired you from a composer's standpoint? Blade Runner, scored by Vangelis, and um, Once Upon a Time in America by Awesome. Tom, we really appreciate you taking the time uh, to spend with us. you have any final thoughts, final comments for those listening out there? Go see the film. You won't regret it. Awesome. <laughs> Tom, we really appreciate it, and uh, thanks to our listeners. Hang around. We'll be right back with more Cinema Scene on WGWG.org.
Welcome to Blindside Movie Reviews on Gardner Webb University Radio, WGWG.org. I'm Noel T. Manning II, hanging out with the original blind movie critic. That's right, the original, the pioneer blind movie critic, Mr. Jay Forey. We've been doing this thing since 1999, since Prince was just a baby. How the heck are you, Jay? Doing pretty good, Noah. What about yourself? Hey, man, I'm amazing. Uh, I'm, I'm a little angry. I'm a little mad. Uh, I got madness kind of living in my life, and, and I'm trying to, to sing to make it all better. So uh, in, in, in celebration of that, why don't we talk about uh, Mad Max Fury Road and Pitch Perfect 2 today? How does that sound? Well, you said you're mad, so I thought that's, that's how you're going to bring in Mad Max. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, you and I uh, both got a chance to check out both of those films, Pitch Perfect 2 and Mad Max Fury Road, which is actually the fourth film in the Mad Max franchise, but the first one in 30 years. Uh, the original goes back to 1980, and then 82, they had Road Warrior, and then uh, in 85, they had Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, uh, the one that everybody really wanted to forget. But uh, here we are again with the original creator, uh, George Miller, bringing uh, this kind of post- post-apocalyptic vision to life again, but this time 35 years later after the original. Now, Jay, for people who have seen the trailer for this film, they might think it's only like a two-hour car chase. Now, while that's true, it is probably the longest car chase in film history. There's actually a story here as well. Yeah, the story is, this takes place, once again, kind of in the future, after an apocalypse where in Australia, this takes place in Australia, and this is, believe it or not, it's a remake, but it's a different adventure in, a different, in the same universe. So that's how this is, happens. And um, Matt Max, Mad Max is captured, played by Tom Hardy, by the War Boys, and for he's a universal blood donor, so one of the gang members needs his blood, so they capture him. In the meantime, and I'm not. I'm going to mention her real name, uh, played by uh, her name is Charlene uh, Charlene Theron. I can't say her real name. Her name in the film. I'll let you do that. Yeah, yeah. Furi- Furiosa. <laughs> Furiosa is her okay, name. Okay, good. See, I'm glad you did it there. All right, there you go. Uh, she's in the. Um, she's in the gang, and in the, she goes AWOL. And uh, so they're after her and carry Mad Max along. And that's the, did I pretty much get the, the plot uh, close enough there? Yeah, you know, what's interesting, Jay, is the, the movie's not really about Mad Max. It's really about uh, Charlize Theron's character. It's really about Furiosa. And, um, ah, I mean, it, it's... I'm glad you said yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, to, um, me, and, to me, Mad Max and, was a supporting character. Uh, you're exactly right. I said this, and I've been saying it all morning. You know what this should be called? Mad Maxine. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, so you, so you, 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 you like my idea? Yeah, there, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. No. Yeah, she was, she was amazing. She's a great actress, and um, you know, this film had tons of car wrecks. It was a great car show. Uh, tons of explosions. Um, the the soundtrack was really amazing by Junkie XL. Interviewed him earlier this week. Um, early on in the film, Jay, I did have some problems understanding the sound mix was not quite right, and some of the dialogue was kind of lost. But uh, visually, it was a, a, a really it was very much eye candy. Um, I, I was I was really really impressed um, on a lot of different levels with this film. And it, it's funny you're saying that you follow everything that I said, and that's the problem uh, with me. The good great thing is being blind. I know I always do a lot of research. I know kind of what's happening in the film so 
I, like, for example, I go, we're going to Greenland. What, if you don't know, if I wonder, what's that? Well, that's where she is originally from, um, Charlene Theron. And that's, but little things like that, I was able to catch her. I knew what's happening. Besides that, there's cars making a lot of noises, gunshots, explosions. So it's hard to keep up. Right, I right. knew what was happening. The first half hour is just one, I mean, just one big action scene. My wife, who doesn't normally go to the action fields with me, she goes, I'm exhausted after the first half yeah, hour. Yeah, and, it, and very, very much so. that's exactly what happens. And then you have a little bit of um, dialogue and then more action. But you know what? My wife enjoyed it. Once again, Charlene Theron is just, you know, just great. Uh, uh, dialogue, yeah, it, not what you expect. Music, and I was telling her, I said, the music is really heart-pounding. It really set the tone of the movie. And she was asking me, I was, well, how did that happen? And I, I explained to her. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned the music. Yeah. This is really worth seeing. Unless you're blind, yeah. it, it's really tough to follow. Uh, but I actually was kind of visualizing in my mind what Mad Max was like 35 years ago, and that helped a lot. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I enjoyed the film. I gave it a B rating, yeah. uh, even though I couldn't see it. Yeah, it was um, it was it was visually amazing, and it was confusing at times, a little disorienting, and sometimes pretty uh, pretty disturbing. Um, and it's not a film for everybody. It, it did have some plot issues, and um, at, at times you felt like you were in the middle of a strange hallucination. Uh, from some bad sushi, but but I got to tell you, you know, even with that, it was a really wild, crazy, entertaining ride, and I'm I'm really happy that I I got a chance to take part in it. It's not going to be a film for everybody, but uh, for me, I gave it a B. I gave it a solid B, and uh, I, I'm glad I checked it out. I'm glad that Mad Max is back on the big screen again. And no, I, I think it's going to go, do good at the box office. I think we're going to be surprised. This they tried to actually make this film. 2003, 2009. So they've been working on it, trying to do it. I think it's going to do better than what we expected. Uh, I, I've been 35 years, but I, you know, once again, being blind does not necessarily feel right. for a blind right. guy. But I know about it being around, and you know, I still enjoyed it. Good deal. All right. Well, let's uh, let's dive into uh, Pitch Perfect Two, another uh, franchise film. This is the uh, sequel to the surprise hit from just a few years ago. Uh, you know, some sequels, I think. Or, or, or screaming to be made. Some some sequels are kind of uh, are singing to be made, and this is one of those that uh, they wanted to get all the the fans back together uh, to watch these uh, groups, uh, this group of acapella singers come go at it again and really have a reunion. And that's really what this movie was. It I, I, Jay, I felt like um, this was kind of a clone copy of the first in many ways. Uh, you know, the storyline. Uh, you've got this uh, three-time defending acapella championship group that early on, I mean, right from the very beginning, uh, they're on this kind of world, this tour, and uh, an accident happens on stage in front of the President of the United States, and that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the film. Uh, and the, the big story question from that is, can they find redemption? Can they regain their place uh, you know, on, on the, the, the stage once again as uh, acapella champs? And that's what the story is. It, it's kind of that, that rocky story. It's something I feel like we've, we've kind of seen before. Um, you're fighting against the odds to kind of, you know, get glory once again and a chance for redemption. That's kind of what the story is. You've got pretty much all the same cast members that came back. Uh, but let's get, let's get some of your thoughts on, on uh, Pitch Perfect 2. Yeah, you know what? Uh, it, it, the only thing I can add to that, yeah, though you said there's an accident. It's a, a wardrobe malfunction with Fat Amy. Yes. Oh, yeah. So, oh, <laughs> that's yes. What the, that's what the accident is in front of the United States. It's actually hilarious in itself. But 
you know what? Here, I'm breaking this film into three things, okay. uh, three different parts to, to where I get my rating. One, in my opinion, the music is about the same, yep. no better, no worse. Two, it's I think funnier than the first one, and uh, you know, and more Fat Amy, more Rebel Williams, and that's uh, I think what makes it funnier. Number three, the plot, yes, it's. It, uh, it's not. It's a thin plot, which is what you expect. So it's a, is that the story any better? No. But you know what? Rounding them all together, I'm putting this about the same as the first. And I think, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's any better, any worse. Yeah, it's a little different. But once again, if you're in for the comedy, I think it's much funnier than the first one. And the music's about the same. I Hey, I'm humming the tunes as I'm, we're speaking right now. Okay, well, I, I did like the, the music, and uh, especially there was uh, one whole segment where you're seeing these world contenders and literally from all over the world singing a Journey song, and that was pretty interesting hearing it in these in uh, these um, indigenous languages being performed. Um, I, I did find myself laughing. I thought there were some great scenes, but I felt it was just too much like the first. Uh, I felt like it kind of lacked the heart, the creativity, and the energy that the first one had. And that one kind of took it away from me. I, I really was hoping, hoping. I don't know that I expected more, but I was hoping for more. And uh, I just didn't get it. I mean, to me, I, I, the film was average. I'm, I'm glad I went to see it. I went to see it with my daughter. I enjoyed the time with my daughter much more than I enjoyed the, the movie. Um, but it really was kind of a reunion film just to get back together again. And it did introduce a few new characters. Uh, but you pretty much knew exactly what was going to happen in this film um, all the way through. You, 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 knew, you knew the ending before it ever came, um, probably you know at least an hour before the, the ending came. Uh, one scene I will I will say was was worth watching, just for the craziness of it. Uh, Fat Amy had a high school musical moment when she was singing Pat Benatar's "We Belong," and so I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. But I'm giving the movie a C rating, Jay. And you know what? Maybe because I'm blind, I can get the jokes, the music. I gave it a B rating. I enjoyed. It. Like I said, I put it where, where I put the first one. Okay. Uh, you know, no better, no worse. Uh, B rating. Oh, Elizabeth Banks, who stars in this film, right. also directed. Yeah. It's her uh, directorial debut. Uh, this is the second time we talked about an actor uh, being a director. The yeah. first time directing in the past uh, month or so. so. Good deal. Uh, B rating. Fun. If you like the music, you like comedy. Just don't expect anything new. But you're not really expecting a great plot in Pitch Perfect anyway. Uh, all right, man. Well, let's get your rating system, which is based on a report card. A, it's so good blind people like it. B, I'm glad I got to hear it. C, I had one eye open. D, I'm glad I couldn't see it. And F, blindness is a blessing. All right, Jay's website is blindsidereviews.com. You can also check him out on Facebook. And you can check him out on uh, WGWG.org and SoundCloud.com, iTunes. You can find Jay pretty much anywhere you want to. You just search for Jay Forey and Blindside Movie Reviews. Uh, Jay, next week I think we're going to surprise people unless you uh, want to talk about something pretty scary like Poltergeist or uh, you know, or well, something t- like that. Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland, Tomorrowland. yeah. Next week. So I'm sure that's what we'll be doing. You know, uh, so I'm, I'm afraid to do Poltergeist. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jay, as always, buddy, we appreciate your time, appreciate your insight on films. And until next time, I'm Noel Manning, that's Jay Forey, and this is Blindside Movie Reviews on Gardner-Webb University Radio, WGWG.org. Until next time, that is a wrap.